0: Hey there, welcome to America on Tap, a weekly podcast discussing the issues affecting my generation, your generation, and our neighbor's generation, all while enjoying a cold beer.
1: When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems,
0: and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. Immigration is often a hot-bottom topic in the United States, and understandably so. The rhetoric surrounding this issue has only gotten more complicated since the last election, as we just heard from then-candidate Donald Trump. And although that's a kind of immigration talk we are used to listening to, there's a component of this that is rarely discussed, international students. Now, this is a very personal topic for me, since I am an international student myself. But beyond that, it is an issue that has also impacted many of my friends, in both negative and positive ways. It has also probably impacted your friends, your coworkers, your fellow students, and many others. America's educational institutions are clearly attractive, but many don't know what it takes for us to come here in the first place, succeed during our college years, and what comes after, including navigating the complexity of visas. For today's show, I invited three former and current international students, Juan Fernando, Pablo, and friend of the pod, Jill, to discuss. In order to truly understand this complex situation, we're doing things a little differently today. But you'll still get to enjoy your usual American tap, since I'm drinking a terrific Carlsberg. Now let's get into it.
1: My name is Paulo Medina. I'm currently living in London, but originally from Mexico City and currently drinking an apple cider.
2: I'm Jillian. I am living in Orlando for now. Um, we'll probably get more into that in the, in the podcast, but um, I'm drinking a Molson because I am from Canada.
3: My name is Juan Fernando Calderón. I come from uh, Ecuador, um I'm an architect here in Miami, Florida, and I'm drinking right now a Funky Buddha Hefenweizen.
0: So all three of my guests came to the United States to pursue their education. And figuring out why they did that is often as important as their educational
1: journey itself. Here's Pablo breaking down his logic. My experience started a little before college. I mm-hmm. went to the U.S. for high school and initially got the mm-hmm. opportunity to go uh, play play soccer in high school at a sports academy down in Florida. So, oh, yeah. I am too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. it, it started a little before college, and then eventually uh, I participated in the recruiting process and got recruited to go play soccer uh, in college up in Pennsylvania at this okay. um, small little school called St. Francis University. Uh, otherwise, I probably would have never ended up in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a big change from from Mexico right. City and Florida, I got to see snow yeah, for yeah, the first Florida. time. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> Isn't it exciting the first time? I was like a little kid <laughs> running around in the snow.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, uh, my friends that, that are from there didn't know what, uh, how to react to it. But yeah, yeah I, I wanted also, to build the snowman, the, uh, the snow angels, course. all these
0: uh, cliché things, right? So moving on from Pablo's and I's obsession with snow, you'll notice a trend throughout this episode, that international students come in all shapes and forms. You have athletes, academics, artists, and a heck of a lot more than that. Let's go back to Pablo's story.
1: Yeah, I think I, I, I mean I always had the, the desire to keep on playing soccer as, for as long mm-hmm. as I could. So it was kind of a natural transition. Uh, with that said, I think I probably would have considered studying in the U.S. as well. I, I think there's, there's a real appeal to, to the experience of studying abroad. And obviously, uh, as you may know, going back to our our home countries, uh, whether it's Mexico, Venezuela, you name it. Um, it's it's yeah. normally highly regarded when you go study abroad. Right. Correct. Uh, yeah. And aside from math, I just think it's a great experience. You know, you get, get exposure to different people at different cultures. So mm-hmm. There's a lot to be said about studying abroad.
0: That was the beginning of Pablo's journey. Now let's check in with Jill and see how her journey began.
2: I ended up coming to the States for high school to begin with. Um, so I was living in Canada at the time and... It really, I, I don't remember exactly how it was. I was always sort of a homebody. And one day I came home and I told my parents, I want to go to boarding school. And mm-hmm. I was a horseback rider, so I decided I wanted to go to a horse school. Um, so we looked at school. Wait, what do
0: you mean a horse school?
2: Like they have an equestrian um, center for at one? the school. Yeah. So, oh, okay. wow. so I could ride as my mm-hmm. sport. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I brought my horse down to Boston and I went to boarding school in Boston or just outside of Boston and Wellesley. So I was there for, um, 10th, 11th and 12th grade. And then, um, I started Rollins in Orlando after that or after a gap year, but yeah, so I've been in the States ever since.
0: Jill's and Pablo's journeys may have some similarities, but they each have their unique distinctness something we'll see a lot more of as we continue. Now, let's check out Juan Fernando's journey.
3: I went to um, an American school, so we always had the influence you know, of the American education. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought about uh, coming to college here in the U.S. and um, my dream was always after graduating uh, from high school, I wanted to play tennis, continuing my tennis career and study architecture. And it was really complicated to find anywhere in the world like, that would allow me to do both things. And I think the United States was always my option number one. I didn't even Mm -hmm. look anywhere else. So I came here for actually to pursue my tennis career. Mm -hmm. I wanted to become a semi-professional tennis player and being also able to have a a degree in architecture to become an architect. And
0: that for me, like I thought that the United States was the best choice. quality of
3: education. Correct. Exactly.
0: So your interest was kind of twofold, was not only academic, but also athletic. And the United States provided that best balance for you to achieve both those things.
3: Yes, for me, the United States, in terms of athletics and academics, is there, they here. They offer a lot of scholarships. They give a yeah. lot of incentives for you to be able to do
0: both. So for me, it was always the the best choice. Right. Let's say. So as you just heard from my three guests, the reasons for coming to the United States for college are plentiful and diverse. You see an interest in athletics. You see an interest in academics, but beyond that, you see an interest in this almost undescribable idea that they can combine their dreams and passions into their ideal educational journey here in the United States. So now that we've discussed the why my three guests decided to come to the United States for college, let's figure out the how. Getting into college is in itself a complicated process, but getting a student visa is a whole different ballgame when it comes to complexity. Students must show that they can pay for the school for a full year, present proof that they will return to their country after completion of studies, among many other requirements. This process often felt incredibly tough to me, but I wonder how it went for others.
1: Overwhelming, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And I think even more so in hindsight. I, I, at the time, you're, I, I think I, I was a little bit naive because uh, okay. you almost don't know how a lot of these things work, right? Yeah, so no. you just go through the process and they, they ask for all these paperwork, for all these mm-hmm. tests, for all these things that you uh, requisites that you have to comply with right so at the time you're you think it's just the norm uh but when you look at a bit in hindsight you you, you think about all the all the things that you have to go through to just uh get, to in, get there yeah just to get there and it, it's yeah it's quite a high high bar- barrier to, of entry to, to 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 go to college there as an international student um so yeah i, I think it's it's, it's somewhat mm-hmm. challenging but I would just think about it as overwhelming. And sometimes there's not enough information for international students out there to make the the most appropriate decisions, I think.
0: Yeah, because, you know, in some part, the school you're going to kind of helps you through that process a little bit. It it honestly depends on the school. Like, they don't have to help you, but some do. So it's really up to the student to figure out how to get a visa appointment, how to, um, you know, show financial proof that you can pay for the school, be able to pass your SATs and ACTs, which, you know, is a requirement for everyone. Yeah. But outside of that, we have additional stuff that we need to no, complete, I,
1: as you mentioned. Yeah, no, I, and even on the in that note of the SATs and ACTs, uh, you're sometimes being judged on a different uh, scale, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yep. think about it and well, what people don't, don't often realize is you're coming as a foreigner. Uh, mm-hmm. learning a completely different language and have to oh, yeah. almost master it as, as well as some mm-hmm. of the people that are, have been there studying their whole life. So, uh, Correct. There's no,
0: there's no international student version of the SAT. It, it,
1: you, you have the toe full sometimes, mm-hmm. but when you, go, yeah. when you go to college, I guess it, it gets a little bit more murky as to what the it standard does. is, right? So it, it makes yeah. it a little bit more challenging even to get to the certain schools that you might want to apply to.
0: Hearing Pablo's story brings me back to my days of applying for a student visa. And although everything he said remains true, the one thing to highlight is that the process is incredibly complicated, especially for first-time visa applicants. Now that we've heard Pablo, let's go to Jill and see what she has to say about the
2: matter. So I would say it's really, I've been through the process three times now, so for high school, oh, yeah. undergrad, and then grad school, and it really has only gotten harder <laughs> since I started, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, for high school, I don't it's way different for Canadians because we can come just on an I-20, which is um like we don't need an actual visa from yeah. Canada to come. Um so I didn't have to go to the consulate or anything like that. Basically, for high school, I I didn't even know I needed a visa. I was like driving down to high school. I just thought you started. And I got to the border and they're like, prove that you're going to school. So I just showed my um, acceptance letter and they just made an I-20 for me right at the border there. Wow. I know. (laughs) So, I mean, that was, and then after that it was a little different. Um, They, the school obviously upkept with my international Yeah. They take care of that a little bit. Yeah. But then coming to undergrad, it was, it was similar, like the similar thing, but Rollins obviously has a much more structured uh, international department. So Mm -hmm. we, I had to, like you said, prove that I was financially stable um, and that was fine for my parents and everything was like pretty easy. It was just like a mm-hmm. lot more paperwork and logistics. And then when I started grad school, um, my parents were divorced at that time. So that was like mm-hmm. a nightmare because yeah. <laughs> that just added a whole nother layer of like, right. who's paying right. for school. All of a sudden it was my responsibility to pay for grad school. Oh, my gosh! So, and, and also another thing is you can't get, um, American financial aid if you're an international student. Yep. So, oh. I was basically like, how do I prove that I'm I'm not financially stable? I can't prove I can't. Yeah, because (laughs) no,
0: I mean, basically every scholarship that one has in this country is as an international student is purely based on merit.
2: Yeah, exactly. Or like athle-
0: athletic or academic married, right?
2: Exactly. And and I couldn't, it's not acceptable to say like I'm going to rack up my credit card bills for the next nope. two years <laughs> nope. and then I'll deal with it after. So um, I actually had to work with my mom and like our bank and basically, I mean, not lie, but essentially yeah. they like wrote us a letter saying they're fine. And they submitted the school, even though they were like, we really don't want to do this, but they knew our family. So it it kind of worked out like that. Um, Well, it
0: almost has to happen that way (laughs) because the process is kind of set up for you to have to resort to doing whatever you can.
2: Exactly. And it was it was an awkward conversation that I had to have Mm -hmm. with my family and I mean, our bank and everything like that. I was of course it was it was really awkward. So, (laughs) yeah,
0: not a fun process. Yeah. Now, here's Juan Fernando.
3: Oh my God! Yes, I I remember <laughs> since the beginning that was the the biggest, you know kind of a, a fear that you always here you know you get the, the student visa you need to do it on time you need to do it with certain amount of weeks before you need to get the application from the college the college needs to send you a specific letter it makes yes me nervous
0: it, it makes me nervous kind of even talking about it
3: <laughs> no yeah it was, i mean it, it was actually a complicated process in the sense that you know you need there's a lot of back and forth communication from the school you need to make sure that you have all the paperwork and then you need to have a, a visa appointment, you know, that you need to get in the consulate of your country. So for me, it was a stress. And actually, when I came here to the States, the visa arrived one day before my departure time. because oh, wow. There was pretty some, uh, yeah, there, there was a lot of, uh, some paper was like, you know, uh, kind of like it was taking more time. So it was pretty stressful. But, you know, after the end, uh, yeah, then you have a, a five-year, four-year. Right, visa, uh, student visa. Visa, student visa. So, yeah, it was pretty stressful. But at the end, you know,
0: I can it on time with that. Yes, completely worth it. Juan Fernando's last comment really hit it home for me. Yeah, this process is complicated. Yeah, this process is stressful. But at the end of the day, it's worth it. You can't really get a college experience like this anywhere else. With that, let's take a short break. And we'll be back soon with more. Back for more America on Tap, Um, we've been talking with uh, my friends, Jill, Juan Fernando, and Pablo about their experiences coming to the United States as international students. And to continue on, we're going to talk about what happened when they arrived to college. You know, because any new geographical moves come with challenges, and everyone has their own process for adapting. So here's what that process was like for three international students coming to the United States. We'll start sitting with Pablo and figure out how it was that someone that grew up in Mexico and parts of Florida adapted to small town Pennsylvania.
1: <laughs> I think, I, I, it, it's funny because I think my transition had is, is is things that made it a lot easier, but it, yeah. it, just the fact that I was part of the, the soccer team at the time, right? You, that helped a lot. Exactly. A hundred percent. You come in and you already have a family and you have already something yeah. to bond around and and have friends that you immediately make uh, through soccer. But Uh, Aside from that, I think it would have been an extremely challenging uh, um, experience, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially, I think it all depends where you go to college, right? But a college like that, um, you don't often get uh, enough diversity, I guess, or enough people you can truly have some common ground with. So I I can see how it's hard for international students to really fit in adapt yeah exactly it's it's not the easy and i mean not to mention you being away from home yeah. uh, being away from your culture uh, from your language from simple things as like your food sometimes those those things are are actually well, hard to you adapt know, to. no no
0: because it's, it's definitely you know people people may think oh like that's kind of small but even the food you know like uh, eating a certain meal just like yeah. makes me feel like that i'm home you know that, that i'm with my family yeah yeah and yeah you really and you really don't have access to that and like you know it's gonna sound whiny but honestly like we we not only don't get that, but we can't like drive home for the weekend. You know, it's like even if you do have your sorry, team, you have that. You, you you put something on the balance that it's like that interaction with your family. You know, I, I yeah. see my family twice a year.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, I I, com- you know? I completely agree. I, I, to to your point, I think you don't always have the same facilities as some of the people, especially the local ones, right? Uh, yes, th- that they do. And like you say, you get to see your family once or twice a year. So oftentimes, you this is one of the things that I've found uh most challenging at times but also sometimes more most rewarding with the, the people that you meet there that uh yeah. you oftentimes have to ask for for favors right you, oh yeah you, for you, sure and and it, it's not easy for you you don't want no, to do it you don't no. want to have to be relying on people all the you time you want to be independent exactly i mean t- even to take a trip to get buy groceries or things that yes. you that you would normally do on <laughs> your own it's not always available for you as an international no, student or uh, it's go, not. going somewhere for a break uh so, but also right. when people open your, their, their house or, uh, or offer to do these things and help you out with these things, it also feels very nice to to, to feel it, welcome. It does,
0: you know, because I think that the, um, the support system maybe exists in an informal way yeah. for all of us. You know, like if, you know, if you probably you and a soccer team and people that have kind of transitioned um, well to college will probably make those friends that are like, hey, Pablo, you want to come home with me for Thanksgiving? Yeah. But if you but if you don't have that uh, like informal support group, then you're kind of on your own. Yeah, so you, know, yeah. you
1: can figure things out on your own. Yeah, yeah, no, and that, 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 that makes it even more, uh, even a tougher experience, right? And, and it, it kind of takes away from what we were talking about how, how unique and how special the, the college experience can be, right? That sometimes ends up leaving people a little bit isolated or feeling a little bit on their own, which uh, shouldn't be the case, right?
0: Now, let's take a look at how Jill's process was in Florida and Juan Fernando's process was in Missouri.
2: Well, for me, because going to high school in the States, I was already sort of adapted to the culture.
3: Culturally, and yeah. I
2: think the culture wasn't that different in Canada. Like, there was no language barrier. Mm-hmm. There was a few mm-hmm. little things. I think the biggest difference was, like I said before, just the actual school in the U.S. versus school in Canada. In Canada, It, it yeah. seemed to like here... Or Back home, all my friends knew what they were doing. They all paid for their own education because it's way cheaper. Yeah, um, it's affordable. Yeah, everyone like had a part-time job and worked and went to school um, for their program, and, the, and they had all their friends that they've had since middle school. Um, whereas in the States, it was very much like, I want to get away from home. I want to go as far away as possible. I want a new experience. Mm -hmm. So school here was so much more about how you feel on campus and how you fit in Mm -hmm. and who you're friends Mm -hmm. with on where school in Canada is, you really just go to school. It's much more like high school or middle school. You just go to classes and then you like have your outside life.
0: Yeah, it it seems more practical in a sense. Like yeah. You're just you know you can work while you go to school, but your school has one purpose and that's educating you. Exactly. Yeah. And not uh, the whole range of things that you can see in the United States. Exactly. Out of school, like a liberal arts college.
2: Yeah. Uh, I loved yeah. I loved that part of school here in the states. Yeah. I mean, I love yeah, taking same. advantage of all mm-hmm. of the things that I was super yeah. involved. Probably like yeah. to my own detriment, but um, I like that aspect of it. Well, because that's the
0: uniqueness of the American education system that kind of makes us want to come here in the first place, you really can't find that
2: anywhere else. Exactly, yeah.
0: Last but not least, let's check in with Juan Fernando, who, by the way, was my college roommate in Springfield, Missouri, at Drew University. Here's what he had to say about his adaptation process.
3: Well, I have to say, at least from our personal experience, you know, the university was pretty inclusive. You know, they created a Mm -hmm. program. There was a big international community, Mm -hmm. so that was super nice. They will create events for us to adapt. They will show us around for us not to feel like, you know, foreigners or the foreigners right. to feel like strangers to the place. So that was super nice. But the stuff, the first thing that like stood out to me is like, you know, I went to a, an American school like in Ecuador and yeah. I thought, you know, like, like you know, I thought like I could get along with English perfectly. But as soon as I arrived here, people would be like, <laughs> what did you say? What yeah. what, what, are, what are you saying? Like, I don't really understand. <laughs> and I noticed that I had a thick accent and I will be right. asking a, a lot of times, what does this word mean? <laughs> you know, so yeah, yeah. that stood out to me. And uh, there were small things, you know, that you had to adapt, you know, eating like we used to eat at later times and uh, here they eat a little bit earlier. So stuff that you you start adapting with the passage of time. Right. And so things like that. But, you know, for me, the, the funniest thing was the accent thing That that took me a while. To to kind of like uh,
0: I th- I think we all think we it. have as you said like we we think we all have like great English and then we come here and then especially a place like Missouri you know where um you know it's maybe not as like diverse or you don't get as many foreigners as other places in the United States but it seems that when we got there like my English ego was completely deflated
3: <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> your English gets deflated because the, the, here you come to and you learn new words it's amazing like it's right. a really good experience.
0: Nothing quite makes you grow up as finding yourself in a new country, knowing no one, and figuring out things by yourself. But as you just heard from my guest, this process can actually be really positive for a lot of us, and you end up making great friends that you keep on forever. So after having gone through the process of getting admitted to college, acquiring a visa, arriving to the U.S. and adapting to the American college system, graduating, and job searching, international students are still not done. We face an uphill battle to remain here, even when we have a job, pay taxes, just as every American, and follow the rules. Here's what my guest had to say on that topic.
1: Not the easiest one, uh, to, to say the least, but I think... Uh, one thing that I have to be thankful for is the, the the fact that my brother had gone through it a couple of years before that. So you kind
0: of knew what it was like. Oh, it, I, I had
1: an idea. I don't even think it was okay. it was imperfect because even him he he didn't have the best idea. And uh, okay. eventually, he also had to leave the country because he didn't know how how the system worked. And interesting, uh, it, it it also didn't facilitate for him to to stay with uh, with a visa, even though he had a great job, yeah, he, mm-hmm. he had a great education. Uh, but the process was similar similar with me. I would say, yeah, you you find out that even after you land, land a job, uh, wh- whatever you, job you, you, you might want to get, you, you have one year to stay there. Um, and at that point, it, I think it's almost like your time runs out, right? There, there's a lot of it hurdles does. that you have to clear at that point to, mm-hmm. to be able to stay.
0: The hurdles Pablo mentions are following the theme we first established when discussing acquiring a student visa, complexity. Getting a job is not the main worry for international students. It's being able to keep it. Although the process can look very different for each international student, the vast majority will enter a one-year work permit period called Optional Practical Training, or OPT for short. This happens after graduation. This allows them to work as any local would. International students in STEM fields can get a longer OPT, which is understandable considering the higher demand. Throughout this year, international students must figure out if their company or organization wants to sponsor them. This word, sponsor, entails a process that concludes with an H-1B visa which allows you to work for a further three years and renewable once. This process confirms that your company wants to keep you for more than a year, that you beat out any American applicants, and more importantly that they are willing to pay the cost of this entire legal process which runs in the thousands of dollars. The numbers of H-1B visas given out every year is capped at 85,000 with 20,000 of those reserved for master's level or above students. Winners of the visa are selected by a lottery system, so it's completely random. More than 180,000 people applied for an H-1B last season, easily reaching and overcoming the cap. So even if you get a job, succeed at it, and agree that your company will sponsor you, you may still not get your visa purely because the lottery did not benefit you.
1: Here's Pablo with a little more on his own experience. A lot of the applications that you end up putting online uh, at the end of it, there's this this mm. curious box that's, that that oh, asks yes. you. If you <laughs> I know it well. The, the very famous box that asks you if you would require sponsorship, and yep. to to the point that at some points you, it, it, it's funny because uh, and not to, not to sound dishonest, but it's like sometimes you almost want to. Click no, right? Obviously, oh, of course. Obviously, of course. Obviously, 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 you'll need it at one point. And it's funny because yeah. my first application... But you app- want to see if you get hired. It, it, it's funny because my first application yeah. that I filled out, I didn't know what it meant, the, the sponsorship thing. So uh-huh. I, did, I didn't have it. I, I, yeah. I didn't click that box. I got an interview. I uh, went through a couple of rounds of interviews. And then eventually, they asked me the question. And I said, I... Uh, I mean, I guess I need a work permit. I'm not entirely sure how this works, right? And they're like, okay, I think uh, we'll just move forward the process with other candidates. Pablo ended up getting a job. And here's what happened after. I received the the sponsorship from Bank of America. Uh, and after that, what well, is the other thing is sometimes people don't know, you have to receive the sponsorship and then you still have to clear your uh, lottery process correct? <laughs> to, for, for your visa to actually get processed, which is mm-hmm. two massive hurdles. And even when you clear that, they still yeah. have the, the, the ability to deny your visa, which is actually uh, what based, happened. Based on nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Based on, based on nothing. Based on numbers.
1: <laughs> that, that, that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, I, I've, I've been I was in the U.S. for 11 years at that point. Completed high school, completed college. I, I, I like I said, I was fortunate to have the opportunity to do so, and I think I did it in, in good standards. Uh, got a job, uh, was paying taxes for a whole year. Y- oh, yeah. you, you name it. I, I was part, yeah. part part of the community. Everything.
0: I, <laughs> you, you weren't you weren't you know beating the system. No, you were very no. much part of the system yeah,
1: there. I, I was. I mean, I it, not yeah. not gonna lie. I felt at home as well. Like uh, my, all yeah. my friends, yeah. my life was in the U.S. at that point. Of course, I went through mm-hmm. the sponsorship process the right way. I even got through the lottery process, and at that point, it was just a matter of someone saying yes, which oftentimes, I mean, 90% of the times that's the case, or it should be the case at that point. I don't know yeah. what else you have to clear, uh, and I got denied. Pablo's journey doesn't end there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After, after that, they, it, it's also, it was a bit frustrating because there was a three-month limbo where they were mm-hmm. waiting for a decision for another visa, yep. the TM visa, and thinking yep. at, uh, whether there could be an appeals process and whatnot. And eventually, yeah, they had to go through the relocation process. And uh, fortunately, the, the option of London came about. Uh, I uh, talked to some people in the group here and uh, got the opportunity to come here. The
0: situation Pablo described is actually quite familiar to
1: many international
0: students. Here's how Jill and Juan Fernando went through that same process.
2: So I guess when I graduated my undergrad, I applied for OPT. And so I did that and you can get that at every new level of your education. So like an yes. undergraduate, you get an OPT, uh graduate, OPT, PhD, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that and I worked for my family. I stayed in the States um, and I really, the only way that I could stay at, like I wasn't able to get sponsored through a work visa. So the only way I could stay in the States was to go back to school. So yep. I really like, was kind of forced into a master's yeah. and I kind yeah. of, I mean, I spin it when I'm talking. I mean, I wanted to do my master's, but I basically, I can't say that to when I'm interviewing for a job. Right. No, no, you really not kind of like, say that. Yet. I was so, I really <laughs> wanted to get my master's right away, you know, so dedicated. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, I mean, part of it really was like, I want to stay in the States and, and that's really mm-hmm. the only option I have. Um, so I hope none of my future employers are listening to this podcast. But um, So right now... Well, I,
0: even if that remains true, you know, I, I look at it like, sure, maybe that was a point of origin, but you still have a master's degree, right? Like exactly. you're still someone that's tremendously qualified to take that job because you have that master's and you have that uh, multicultural experience. Exactly. And
2: I was willing to do that. I mean, a lot of people yeah. would have just gone home and...
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, So I think now I'm looking for jobs. And I mean, recently, I just told you the other day that I'm thinking about maybe going back to Canada, mm-hmm. honestly, because the process is really hard here. Um, yeah. and it's only getting harder. You know, I, I thought before I kind of had it easier being from Canada, but I mean, with all the NAFTA talks, um, you know, it might become harder for right. me. Right. Um, before there was a few other different types of visas other than just a, a H one b work visa. Jill
0: is referring to the North American Free Trade Agreement, an economic liberalization policy currently signed on by Mexico Canada and the United States that President Trump is revising.
2: But there was a few other, like NAFTA has a few agreements where if you're- For
0: Canadians. Yeah. yeah.
2: And so if, you're in a, if you fall under a specific um, profession, you can basically apply for different types of visas. So, um, I mean, I'm not sure what's going to happen with that. I don't think anything will happen by the time I graduate, no. but I'm not sure.
0: Juan Fernando's journey was quite an interesting one. Let's see what he has to say about it.
3: For me, and the nice thing of here is that when you get your diploma and your degree, you basically can stay here in the United States for one year for free, let's yes. say. You yes. want to work, you can do like an internship, one year, wherever you want, related to your, to, to your area of study. Right for me that meant you know it was one year and then after like within that one year I had to think what I wanted to do and I wanted to stay here I love like I really love the where I'm working mm-hmm. here in Miami I love the firm so I had to go like through several conversations with them about what's the process educate them educate the office I mean uh, of, yeah because not everyone
0: not not everyone is fluent in visas right like it's not something that everyone knows what that process is like Exactly. And, you know, I'm here in Miami where there's a lot, we're a lot of foreigners, and, but yeah. there
3: are a lot of the people here where I work with have a green card. So mm-hmm. not many people from my office have the H-1B and they have done the H-1B process, but they're not too familiar. There's so many things that change. So for me, I had to educate them. I had to tell them, you know, I mean, they wanted to keep me and they wanted for me to stay. But either way, right. you know, I had to kind of like a handholding
0: process. And for me, I learned a lot while doing yeah. this. It was a really complicated thing. Ultimately, Juan Fernando was successful in acquiring the H1B visa, which is great because I can visit him all the time in Miami. Now he shares a couple of other stories from people he knows and their encounters with the visa process. Kind of sad to see. I had a couple of friends, you know, that would love right. their work. Yeah. They
3: came out mm-hmm. of college with a degree. They were prepared. They loved what they were doing. And
0: they had to leave because they, they didn't win the lottery. Anyone that knows me is clearly aware that I am a big fan of the American dream and the promise of freedom this country extends. Heck, my podcast is dedicated to that very ideal, so I don't believe in criticizing things for complaining's sake. I am far more interested in figuring out how we can improve this process, how we can make it fair for everyone. Here's what my three guests came up with.
1: Yeah, I, I that, that's a tough question I think because uh, there's a lot of things that, that that would have to happen for the system to really get truly get fit, uh fixed but uh mm-hmm. I think the first thing is just making people aware especially the people that are against some of these uh these regulations right they the, the the understanding the the foundation of it and how this benefits the the country and also uh the story behind some of these people right uh, oh, yeah. I mean it's funny because I have people that I 've spoken to, people that, like you said, are make America first, uh, great again, or mm-hmm. uh, put America first, and when I tell them my story they they can 't believe it right they, they right. actually, when I start speaking to them, they think I'm American to begin yeah. with, and yeah, I t- I t- also, yeah. <laughs> and I tell them my story, and then they don 't understand how how's that possible. They really do not understand how I wasn't able to stay there, right So I think uh, getting people informed is the first step in the process mm-hmm. towards moving to a change. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with Pablo here. By definition,
0: this process is so complicated that it's very hard to explain to someone that has not gone through it. But once they understand what it takes for us to come here and succeed, they are far more empathetic to the position many international students have in the United States. Here are some
1: of the more practical solutions Pablo suggested. Having a a formal process for, for people to be able to stay, to be able to become residents, I mean, yeah. Just, just to your point, not being in London, uh, how mm-hmm. it works here. I received the, my visa to work, mm-hmm. and, and after five years, I can apply for residency. I for
0: residency. Yeah.
1: Without any ifs. Uh, I, I mean, you have to pass. I, I think an exam for residency, but right. N- there's no major hurdles. I mean, at that point, you're a member of the society. You've proven that oh, you want to stay in the country. Yeah. Um, you, you, you have a job. You, you know, you're part. You're part of the community, like you said. Interesting proposal from Pablo.
0: Now let's take a look at what Jill came up with.
2: The student visa needs to be recognized as a um, citizen-seeking or even like a green um, card-seeking visa because I feel like, I mean, especially for me in my MBA program, the, the mission of the program is to... Um, develop global leaders. And mm-hmm. I pretty much embody the global leader yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. And so um, I feel like a lot of people are looking towards more international experience and things like that. So if it was like, I don't mind doing the work myself. It's the hard part is convincing a company that they should put in the work yeah. as well. So if right. there was some way that um, like I could do things from my end, if I um, didn't have to maybe ask if it wasn't so difficult for the employers, because I think that's why people are unwilling. They automatically yeah. say, we're not hiring anyone that right. needs sponsorship, which that, I mean, that feels kind of unfair, but I it get does. it because I mean, they don't want to put in the tons of money and tons of time and effort to, you know, maybe have a no. And I mean, I can sell myself to um, like any kind of employer, you know, I'm sure I, yeah. I I'm feel confident that I could get like most of the jobs that I would apply for, it's just mm-hmm. that one part that sticks that, right. I mean, yeah. I have no control over that. If they say, do you seek sponsorship? I have to say yes.
0: Lastly, let's hear from Juan Fernando on how he thinks the system could be better for all. Well,
3: I think that this is something we always talk within in a group of friends. And like, I think there needs to be something, a, a specific, I, I believe there needs to be a, spe- a special kind of visa for mm-hmm. international students. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that everyone should be granted, but something yeah. that you know, at least there should be a visa that you, there is only a certain amount of spots for the students that graduate from here. Because I think at, at the end with the H-1B visa, that is the most common visa that we all apply to. You end up applying with people from all around the world that nece- that not necessarily came to study in the United States.
0: Right, because you're you're competing for the spots with, you know, CEOs, managers, you know. Amazon and Facebook are, are very well known for flooding the market with visa applications.
3: Yeah, exactly. So you're competing so, with all those companies. And at the end, you know, I think we 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 make a really big effort to come here to pay for school. We we adapt to the system for five years, and I think you know like we we truly want to remain here and make a, you know make a change here and actually develop our careers. So I do think that there, there needs to be a specific kind of visa for international students, rather than being only competing no. with a, and, and having less odds of staying here.
0: When thinking about political representation, a topic I ponder often and yes, that's me admitting I'm a huge nerd, I think of international students as a social group without any political representation at all. After all, we can't vote. And because of that, we aren't at the top of the priority list for a local congressperson. Now, I'm not advocating that we hand out passports. But if we're going to do that, I'm definitely open to receiving one. But no, I understand and accept that this process will be different for us. But as you just heard, it seems to be more complicated than it has to be which is where you can play a role. I'm a big believer that many issues can be fixed by spreading the word about how it affects others. And this is one of them. By spreading our stories, I think we create empathy with those that could potentially be in a position to help. And after all, what we really need in this world is more empathy. If you enjoyed this episode of America on Tap, make sure you leave me a review on your podcast app of choice. Tell your friends about it and tune in next time. Cheers to having a conversation that doesn't end in an angry Twitter rant.